Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's uh, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Today I have a very special guest with us, uh, Paul Hurley of Handface Videos. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Now let me tell you a bit about Paul. Paul Hurley has made viral videos that have been shared millions of times all over the world. A former Yahoo and B Sky B executive, Paul set up Handface in 2010 to help companies, large and small, cut through the clutter of the online world by making videos that are watched, liked, and shared organically. So some of Paul's clients include Huffington Post, Virgin Media, Channel 4, NHS, Government, Shine Charity, and the Church of England. So that's very, very impressive. And really appreciate you uh, being with us, Paul. And so Paul, just to give myself and our audience a bit of an understanding of who you are and Tell us a bit about your background, where you come from and your family and growing up and so forth. Yeah, sure, John. Well, right now I live and work in England, but I was born in the Republic of Ireland in 1969 and moved over here at the age of 10 in the late 70s. Now, I don't know how much you are aware of the situation between Ireland and England then. It was a sort of slightly difficult relationship. They always had a kind of difficult relationship because of historical and religious reasons, etc. And Ireland was, in the 70s growing up there, was kind of, I hate to say it was a backward community, but it wasn't a very advanced community. It was really in the throes of religion. The priests were almost more important than politicians. But it was a you know, it's a fabulous country. I absolutely love it. It has completely changed now and, and kind of gotten rid of all of that and become very modern and has a great relationship, generally speaking, with England. And of course, Ireland is and Irish people are well liked all over the world. But that was my, you know, background where I, where I grew up and then came over to England, which was a real eye opener because even then it seemed so advanced and so ahead of, of what I'd been used to. And I came over here, as I said, when I went to what we call secondary school, you know, um, mm-hmm. from the age of about 10 onwards. Right. Um, but I still have my, my family. My parents are now, uh, unfortunately, no longer with us. But I still have all of their brothers and sisters and my cousins in Ireland. I'll be going back there next month, go back there quite regularly. So I'm an Irish, despite my accent, I'm still an Irishman living in England. Right. And with your parents, what did they do for a living? Well, they did. My uh, dad simply worked in a factory, uh, didn't do anything extraordinary in terms of his job, but he was a fairly extraordinary character in terms of his personality. He worked for Dunlops, which was, um, you know, the big tire and rubber manufacturing company. And he was a real gregarious guy. I reckon there was probably 2000 people working in this factory, probably 99% of them would have had a personal relationship with my dad. He was a real people person, a real kind of smiley, interesting and really interested in people. His life was about 
finding out about people, what made them tick, and he loved to travel. At that time, not a huge amount of people in Ireland were traveling. He wasn't, you know, we weren't wealthy, we were very working class, but he, he loved traveling to England, and later in life, he loved traveling to Europe and, and seeing other cultures. And my mum was a housewife. She was a, 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 an Irish uh, housewife, but my parents separated when I was 10, Mm. And very unusually for Ireland at that time, because that was very much frowned upon, um, yeah. my mum took myself and my sister to England to start this new life. So she was a really brave lady to be able to do that and give us sort of, you know, this new opportunity in England. Yeah. Mm. And did your mother have to begin working when you guys moved to England? She did. Yeah, she did. She had to begin working. Initially, she came on her own for a few months and worked as a chambermaid in hotel and that was basically what she did for you know the rest of her career um so she mm. worked in hotels yeah, yeah to look after us yeah and and yourself so you you went to high school and did you go to university as well in england i did yeah i went to university in england at the university of kent in canterbury which is in the southeast of england and i did follow up by doing a master's degree at the University of Warwick. I did a master's degree in French cinema, which wow. everybody said that's the most useless degree we've ever heard of. Um, right. I didn't even know you could get a degree in French cinema. There you go. Yeah. And I actually served out. You know what's interesting about having done that is that even though it wasn't the most obviously career bound degree, like mm. being doing medicine or dentistry or law, the fact is, because I was so interested and passionate about it, it really did help me in my career because it was so different and people were, yeah. you did that, tell us about that and you must have some interest or expertise in film or cinema and that did lead me into, you know, the, the career that I've got. Mm. So so when you finished your, degree, uh, finished your degree and you got your master's, maybe later, not immediately, is that right? No, I did it straight, pretty much straight away. Straight, straight away? Out with that. When I was about 22, 23, yeah. Okay. So, and after that, what what, what happened with Paul? What You worked in corporate space, did you, for a while? There was an element of that, I guess. Initially, I got a job through having this the aforementioned master's degree. I got a job as a question writer for television game shows. Okay, and interesting. I, I did that for a few years. And, in fact, I still keep my hand in doing that from time to time because it's uh, – um, you know, I'm a trivia guy a lot, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I, I love doing that. So I've worked on programs like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and The Weakest Link and, you know, shows that have gone around the world, etc. But then I did jump into the corporate ladder, firstly going to Sky, as you mentioned at the top, which is the, you know, pay TV service here uh, run by News International by Rupert Murdoch. And I was there for about three years and started off scheduling movie channels, ended up buying the movies in and head of programming for the first pay-per-view service and the biggest pay-per-view service at the time in Europe. And what's interesting about that was that that was a really kind of a forerunner of what we have now in terms of Netflix and Amazon Prime. I mean, you know, there are other services, obviously, but Netflix is the kind of big one now. We were showing films, you know, you could buy a film and it would start every 15 minutes and you'd catch up. This is back at the end of the 90s, etc. So mm -hmm. it was kind of a new thing. And then I left there because just like a lot of people did around the same time, 
I went to work at Yahoo and everybody was saying, this is going to be fantastic. You know, you're, you're going to be a dot-com millionaire. It's mm. going to be amazing. And, of course, I did that just as the first doc, so-called dot-com bubble occurred and had, I call it a strange time at Yahoo. I've never quite understood how or quite what Yahoo was all about. It was an unusual time. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. met nice people and, and made good contacts, etc. Yeah. So today you have hand face videos, and we're going to talk a bit about what what you do between Yahoo and uh, what what happened after Yahoo. Yeah, uh, that that, took, because, that sort of take took you to where you are today yeah. and starting your own business. Sure. What was great about having been at Sky and having been at Yahoo and made all these contacts was that I was able to carve out uh, a period of time as a kind of a consultant for other companies, so startups. I worked a lot in entertainment in film distribution, helping people buy films for the UK. This was when we still had a DVD market. I guess it must be similar in Australia when, you know, the kind of, you had video stores, you had Blockbuster, yeah. and they needed product. And, of course, the bottom's fallen out of that market. So hmm. I'd always loved film. I'd always sort of, and I'd loved acting and amateur dramatics. And I started making, just really for my own pleasure, these little no, low-budget stroke, no-budget shorts and discovered that there was, after about 2005, something called YouTube on which you could just put these up and anybody could see them. And I started making these and, you know, tens, literally tens of people would watch them, I mean, hardly <laughs> anybody, fr- friends and family. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think the turning point came in about 2008, where I entered, I had entered a couple of competitions. I entered a competition to make a, it was in conjunction with a film that was being released, and the film studio put this competition out to make a uh, zero-budget version of any famous film in the world. And I thought, well, I'll make a zero-budget version of the film I know the most, which is the horror film The Shining, which is kind of a cult film, I'm sure you know it, and lots of Mm. people like that film with, with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up winning the competition. The views went, I remember the first weekend, like literally my previous best views would have been 100. And the first weekend after we were announced, they put us on the front page of YouTube. Now today to be on the front page of YouTube is like an incredible thing. It was equally incredible then because it was so new. And I remember the first weekend we had 4,000 views and I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that 4,000 people around the world had watched this uh, video. And then the next day, it was increasing. It was 10,000, then it was 50,000, then it was 100,000. So it was my first exposure to how just the average person or the, what later became the average business could create product like this that was relatively inexpensive and it could get out there and around there. And it really gave us a lot of increased our profile and, and people suddenly came knocking on the door and, and someone came knocking on the door and said, we'd like you to direct a pop video. Here's £20,000. Awesome. I couldn't yeah. even have conceived this um, yeah. three months earlier. Yeah. I made the pop video. That all went well. Somebody else said, can you do this? And all of a sudden, by about 2009, 2010, I, I decided, look, I can do this as a job. This can be a company. And as you said, We've gone on now to, to, to do that for five or six years, you know, professionally, as it were, with all these great name clients. You know, I still do a lot of stuff for small and medium businesses, but at the top end, you've got, you know, the Huffington Post and 
Virgin Media and Channel 4, which is a big broadcaster here in the UK, as you said, the Church of England, etc. And that's yeah. a kind of nutshell. And because of that, this year, as, as I may have mentioned to you, I wrote a book about it. So my book is now out. There isn't a similar niche book on the subject of viral video and all the, the, the kind of pros and cons of doing them. But um, I decided to do that and self-published that and released it about six weeks ago. Congratulations. That's excellent. I was just thinking as you, as you were talking then, Paul, about just how much video has benefited myself in my business. Back in 2008, when I wanted to get exposure for my business and build an email list, that was my main plan to build an email list. I looked at, okay, what's some ways I can get some free traffic? And I was trying a few different things and they were working well for me to get free traffic, but they required my time every day, like to keep, to generate traffic and build my list, the free strategies I was using, they required me to, I had to do certain things daily or at least weekly for it to make it happen. But I realized with YouTube that I could put videos up there and they were passive. Once I, I did, I'll do, I could do the work once, have it sitting there and they would bring me traffic because I, I, I knew that I could, within the video itself, I could promote my website, I could put my URL and on a splash screen like in the as a footer or something I could talk about my website in the video itself in the description of the YouTube uh, when I uploaded it to YouTube I'm going to have my URL right at the beginning of the description it'll be a clickable link all that kind of stuff so what I did Paul I actually created hundreds of videos like hundreds literally mm -hmm. I had I think it was maybe over 400 short videos I, I would create a lot of short how-to videos related to my niche which is internet marketing or making money online so i create a lot of videos for example um, how to find good products on clickbank uh, how to create affiliate links and all, all that kind of stuff just really short how-to videos and i tell you I, I had so many i had hundreds of thousands of views of my videos mm. and it brought me in a lot of free traffic it helped me to build my list not only that i noticed the quality of those subscribers Mm. was so much better than the other traffic sources I was I was using mm. because these people had I'd come to develop a relationship with them through the videos they they come to know me like me trust me they come they've, they've made the effort to go from YouTube to my site opt into my list so when I would make them offers they were much more likely to buy and and they still they are still loyal subscribers to this day like 8 years later I think it's something that businesses definitely need to be using. And it's come a long way. I mean, since even since then, there's a lot more you can do with YouTube than just free posting, uploading free videos. You, you can do all sorts of different advertising on there yeah. now. Um, I mean, so, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd be so. interested to know if you were to start now. I mean, you, that's a, a great tale. And you wouldn't have been alone in doing that. And I guess in some ways you were kind of a pioneer then because the space was there to be grabbed. I wonder now if you were starting in 2016, whether you would do it the same, whether you think it would be just a question of replicating what you did in 2008 because it's very different now, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, look, it, it is different. And I, I got really disappointed with YouTube. Well, in the niche, I, I think you have to be very careful careful in the make money online niche because there's a lot of scamming, scammy type yeah. of activity happening out there. And so, and YouTube don't know me personally. 
they don't know that I'm an ethical marketer. So what what happened is I actually got warnings against some of my videos. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And I got three strikes and my account got suspended and that was it. Uh, it was it was game over. Really? That was I can't remember exactly when that was, maybe 2013, 14, wow. something like that. So I was very, very, I was really, I was really upset about the whole thing. And I, so many times I read through their community guidelines and their terms of, uh, what is it, their community mm -hmm. guidelines. And there was one other thing that they asked me to look at. And I made sure I read through it and I, I was going by the book and everything. But so I'm not sure exactly why they didn't give me specifics, why I got red flags of those, those videos and, but still, it's not that I don't. Uh, so I still definitely encourage people to use video and use YouTube. And and what actually one thing I was going to ask you, Paul. Yeah. Do you just focus on YouTube? Do you use any other video sharing sites? Or when you, when you talk about using video, are we just talking about getting exposure through video sharing sites, or are we talking about other things as well? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's interesting how everything that you've said is really interesting and pertinent to me about how the landscape has changed between those two points when you were doing that in 08 and when I was doing what I was doing and now. I think that I could talk a long time about this, but I think in a nutshell, the two big things that have happened have been what is uh, called this notion of content shock, which is that there is so much content out there now that you've really got to be very clever and original with your content in order to be seen. Mm. And number two, YouTube has always been a funny place because it's really, I was just thinking and writing something about this the other day, it's a host, isn't it? It's a platform. It's a social network, kind of, I think. I mean, you know, there are a big, huge community of YouTubers who do very well out of it, who are probably aiming at a young demographic, I think videos do need to be hosted on YouTube to give them a certain air. It's almost like people expect them to be findable on YouTube. But in mm -hmm. terms of where I'm not really focusing on YouTube per se right now, but I, most of the products we make for people will, however, be uh, stored on there. But it's really getting the product out by however means possible. And what has really taken off as I'm sure you know and probably have talked to other people about it in the last year, has been Facebook video, which has become for brands, for individuals, you know, everything from pop videos to news videos. It's, it's just become a, a huge phenomenon. It's, it's getting up there to match the daily view count, if not exceed the daily view count of YouTube. Now, Twitter made a good run. I've kind of got the feeling that Twitter is plateauing out They've admitted as such by their last quarterly reports. I actually think a lot of people are leaving Twitter for various reasons. Twitter is a very good way of sharing video and can certainly be one of the first places I'm putting any social video out to. But in terms of organically, what we try and do is organically shared video, i.e. a video that you see and you want to share with whoever it is. It might be certain groups of your friends. It might be certain members of your family. We try and still make that content good enough to make it organically shared. Not to say that there is not a place for paid traffic. Increasingly, there is a massive place for paid traffic. So that's a kind of long answer. Um, I think, uh, in short, yes, the video should be on YouTube. Is it the be-all and end-all? No, you're just trying to get traffic uh, videos in front of people wherever they are. And, of course, the other thing is that most people now are on mobile and will be increasingly. Yeah, it's a really good point you make about videos on and Facebook and and really I I, I didn't realize it was that big until you 
the statistics that you mentioned or that the fact that it's yeah. the view count is is nearing YouTube. So actually, I was very surprised to hear that I didn't realize. Um, yeah. So so a lot of people, and I've noticed that a lot of people put videos on, on Facebook, they upload videos to Facebook, but a lot of people now are using Facebook Live. Yeah. So they just, we, yeah, yeah, just doing live video on the spot. Yeah. It still remains to be seen what the longevity of that is going to be. It's kind of Facebook's attempt to do, you know, kind of the Periscope thing, which Twitter yes. bought last year. I think it appeals to, and then within a couple of the groups that I belong to, you do get a lot of people talking very positively about Facebook Live, etc., and Periscope. It still remains to see whether it can penetrate into the sort of mainstream mentality of that is something I am going to use every day or look at every day, or whether it will become something like another chat roulette. You know, 10 years ago or six years ago, everyone was saying chat roulette is the way forward. And it was, I'm not saying Facebook Live or Periscope are fads, but they have still got quite a long way to go to get into the sort of the mainstream psyche. Mm-hmm. But they're incredibly useful for, I mean, they're extraordinarily useful for this user-generated content, especially reporting from live news events. So you could be at a sports event, you could be had a, you know, a, a, some sort of incident going on that you can kind of be generating video from there. And then mm-hmm. you've got all these other, um, you know, areas as well, such as Snapchat video, which is, another world of its own and it's absolutely massive so you got to what we try and do is create content that is platform agnostic because if you're just saying oh we're just targeting just youtube or just facebook then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot slightly Mm -hmm. yeah for people out there right now that are are interested okay they, they know they need to use video they want to use video more for exposure in their business to reach their market to for branding for so many there's so many different ways you can use video you could, a lot of people are using it for sales letters, video sales letters. Are, apparently, they convert a lot better than traditional letter. But the, yeah, again, there's just so many different ways you can use video. So for someone that's getting started out, now, what tools can you use? Are there any free tools or re, uh, paid tools that you recommend people use if they want to start creating their own video? Well, it's really up to them as to what they are trying to do and achieve. Firstly... They've got to have an objective. So if they are a sole trader who is just trying to sell, I don't know, advice or analysis or, or, or something that is some sort of report that they own, it might be something that they are happy to just create in their office and it might be similar to how you did your videos. I don't know whether you got a professional videographer in eight years no. ago. To but no, to do 400 very... videos, you must have it... done it yourself. Oh, yeah, they were all just me with my webcam and my yeah. uh, cam tape, like a screen capture video like Cam yeah. Studio. It was, yeah, very basic stuff. I think that the rule is still the same, and it doesn't really – I think that people now are very much will, willing to accept high-end production as well as they are accept, uh, to accept low-end production. So if it's just an individual – who is talking about something, as long as the audio is good um, and it doesn't look terrible, I think that people are, are happy to accept that. And most people are aware that you can do incredible things with your, your... I mean, I just got the iPhone 6S the other day and we were looking at a comparison of that with a Sony camera that's worth £4,000 uh, over in the UK. I can really tell the difference looking at the two mm, pictures. Wow. It's so incredible. And, of course, there's so much free 
editing stuff available, whether you've got a Mac or a PC, they both come with, with indigenous editing tools. Um, but what the key thing is, if you're going away from that kind of sole trader per mentality and you're going into companies, <clears throat> they really don't quite factor in if they want to make something very nice that you are going to have to spend a little bit. Getting a professional crew out, getting a director who knows how to grab the right shots, getting an interviewer who knows how to ask the right questions and push the right buttons, it's more than just you know pressing mm -hmm. play on your uh, computer. And that yeah. is where there is this kind of gray ground between the acceptable kind of you know small company doing it themselves and then someone presenting something as a final product that, that's polished you can often see shabby end results, but you can often see, and this is one of the main problems that video companies, including myself, have, is they they just don't realize that the budget needs to be spent on it, you know, and certainly the budget in terms of editing and post-production, et cetera. Companies that do get the good end results, they get nice look, mm -hmm. quality looking products. Other companies constantly squeezing budgets, it becomes a kind of a painful process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean. And I think I'm guessing where you would come in, Paul, with hand face videos is that it's not just about creating videos that are high high end quality, but it's making them buzzworthy or, or videos that are going to be shared and going to bring you in, get you a lot of exposure and actually going to be worth the money you spend and much more. Because even if you have the right equipment and you create a really nice video, if no one's sharing it, if people aren't getting caught up in the message, it's not pushing the buttons of your market, then it's not going to be yeah. much, it's much good to you. So when, again, so this is something that you specialize in then, Paul, it's creating, because uh, I tell my clients, I say, look, when you, it's not just good enough to create videos and put it up on YouTube. I say to them, you, you, you want to make it buzzworthy. So I, I usually say to them, hey, find a topic that's controversial or funny uh, that that's two good ways. Is that good advice? What 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 is it that you do or try to do with your clients? It is uh, good advice. Um, what I try and say to my clients is, look, from the get go, this isn't something that's just going to happen by snapping our fingers overnight. We need to firstly have a strategy. What, why are we doing this? What's our objective? The other thing is that there is still in 2016 what I call a let's make a viral attitude as if it was as easy as writing a number one pop song or like creating the number one movie in Hollywood. Actually, it takes quite a lot of effort to create all of this. So you need to get into the topic. I will typically bring my team in of writers on each topic. You come up with scripts, you come up with ideas. I think what you're saying about come up with something, uh, do something that's controversial or, or topical is very good. And we do a lot of that stuff, actually. That's what the Huffington Post hire us for. Mm -hmm. You've got to be very careful with controversial stuff because, of course, if you're a brand, even a small business, it's quite easy to get it wrong. And a lot of people, if you get it wrong with a controversial subject, you can suffer the consequences because a lot of people will start to troll you or start to give you online abuse. Mm. If you've got a good team who understand the subject, who are able to work with you as a company, who are able to present you scripts that you can discuss back and forth and edit, almost like a mini television production uh, without the scale or budget of that. Um, and if it is part of a greater strategy, what are you doing in your other elements of marketing? Then 
that is where we like it to be to fit in. And then you're trying to, as you said, create buzzworthy, shareable content. Now, there is no magic formula for that, although having said that, there certainly are common aspects. Humor, as you mentioned, is a good one. Controversy certainly can work. Topicality can work. But then you've got the whole emotional side. How, how will people find it interesting? Are the first, you know, they're getting bombarded with videos on Facebook, left, right and center. So mm. how are the first 10 seconds of your video going to keep their attention compared to the next 10, 10 seconds of the, this other video? If you are thinking about shit, why are you, I, John or someone, you know, why are you sharing a, a video? Why are you sharing that? What will it say about you if you're sharing a video? Will it mm -hmm. increase your value in some shape or form? Is your video doing something new in a new way? Is it creating a strong reaction? There's a lot of different elements that do kind of, uh, that we kind of, we kind of give each one a percentage and, and, and a kind of mark out of 10 to say that's how this is doing so that we can come up with a score to give us an idea that we're along, along the right lines. One of the things I wanted to ask you as well is about being able to measure your return on investment. Can you, is it possible uh, and how do you, if, if it is possible, how do you measure return on investment on a video that you've spent the time creating and putting out there? Yeah, it is a good question. And it's a bit like the uh, world of advertising where you're in it for a long game to sort of measure whether this is having an effect on sales over the course of six months or a year. But of course, with online video, you have got a lot of metrics that you can you can track fairly instantly. So how long people have been watching the video for, whether they've watched five seconds, 50 seconds, or the whole video. Mm -hmm. If you've got a call to action on there, you can measure the response of that. You can track, uh, track all the clicks and see just where did people go um, with, with that response. Did they lead to, did the video actually lead to a purchase in something consuming or are they, if it's just a lead generation, did it convert into what percentage? So I think that there are plenty of, you know, within YouTube, for instance, there's a, a great free YouTube analytics and Google an analytics as well is very good for all this kind of stuff. But video can't be the be all and end all. It has to be, if we talk about the sales process, it has to be one part of the funnel and it might be at different places according to, to whatever your funnel is. You mentioned earlier video sales letters. I think that it's interesting about VSLs because I think that, I'm not saying they've had their time in the sun, but I certainly think there was a time when they were all the rage and probably converting quite successfully. And then people may have seen, actually, maybe they've converted a little bit less because there might have been viewer fatigue that they've seen quite mm -hmm. a lot of them or know that formula. So yeah, I think there are, there's certainly a lot of ways of tracking, but you've got to think, why am I making the video? You know, that that's really the object. The, the objective should be the first thing, like with any marketing campaign. So people will talk to us about, we want to make a video to, to launch a new product. We want to promote awareness. We want, it might be a charity uh, appeal type thing. It might be internal communications. It might be, an ongoing thing to keep us in the on online debate to show people that we are a kind of live and interesting entity. People will ask us to do all sorts of videos, but the number one thing I say is, what is the objective? What is the core objective? Yeah, thank you. Paul, what's some of the common mistakes businesses make when they're producing a video? Well, I've discussed the uh, let's make a viral attitude as if you can just do it 
and it's going to be watched by 10 million people tomorrow. Um, <coughs> just put it, just put a share, share at the end and hope people share it. <laughs> yeah, put it on, put it on Twitter and um, it'll be seen by everyone. And I've discussed not making your video, not making your video part of a strategy. Um, but there's another couple of things that I see a lot. And uh, a really thing I see quite a lot is the, the feedback loop having a flaw in it. And what I mean by the feedback loop is when I have presented a video to a client where they are then feeding back to me. Quite often, if it's a larger company, a lot of people like to get in on the act of commenting on a video because it's a change from the normal day job. It's kind of feels cool, feels kind of sexy. You can have like 50 different opinions and quite often I've had a feedback which hasn't really been collated where person A says, oh, I love it black, and person B says, I want it white. Not having uh, collated and thought through feedback. And also another problem that you can have with feedback, especially in medium to larger companies, is feedback, I call it feedback governed by fear. Because people are looking after their jobs and trying to please the boss, they are unwilling to take risks in making the video because they don't want to rot the boat or make anyone feel upset at that senior level. And that can lead to, usually leads to videos which are quite bland mm. and almost consensus made videos. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I see those quite a lot. You know, you got other things like startups will typically try and squeeze everything into a video and instead of just focusing on the core thing which a startup should be focusing on, which is this is our product, this is what the uh, the pain that it's going to relieve for you, and this is why you should get this product. They'll throw everything in the kitchen sink into this video. <laughs> this is the fact. Right. How we thought of the idea, the founder story, blah, blah, blah. Well, people aren't interested in that at this stage. They might be later on. If you want to get a foot onto this market, just get your message across clearly and succinctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good tips. Thank you. So with Handface videos that you founded, Paul, you've been you've been doing it now since 2010. Did you find that there was a niche for you, a need for the service that you provided? Because I'm guessing that there's businesses that wanted professional videos done with a marketing type perspective, but maybe there wasn't companies like yours out there that would create those videos. You, is that how you got the business idea? I guess so. Yeah. And I guess that bit like you and me in 2008, realizing that there was this thing called YouTube and the power of that, companies are normally a couple of years behind the sort of average you know, man in the street in terms of they're quite slow. So around about then, I think they were cottoning onto the fact that, the fact that this is where their audience was moving. So mm -hmm. you've had examples of, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you've had examples of companies who have moved nearly all their budget into online, away from traditional television advertising, but they needed organizations that were doing this. And of course, what they were doing and what they still do is, oh, we'll just give it to the agency to make the video. And of course, this is a boon for agencies, traditional agencies, because they can now charge more to add videos onto the end. Whereas the problem being that agency isn't a specialist in shareable video. Mm -hmm. um, so there's yes. an awful lot of you know, there is still an awful lot of video out there, which is, is kind of, you know, not really hitting the target. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we were hired. And, and that's basically what I, what I thought was, was the answer to your question is yes, I thought that there is a need for companies to do this. And I approach companies and haven't really approached that many since because we've been lucky. Uh, most of the work has come to us through 
you know, the successes or referrals, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always a good sign. And yeah. can you can you share with us, Paul, maybe one or two success stories like where you were able to really help a client with video, whether they tried it themselves and failed or they just came to you because they felt that they needed that kind of exposure and it really helped their business? Yeah, I'll give you an example of a big one and a small one, i.e. a big company and a small individual. We'll look at the Huffington Post example, which was an idea that I had around about 2011, 2012, I thought, well, all these newspapers are moving into the digital space. The Huffington Post is a digital-only newspaper. Now, what do these broadsheets have in common? It must be the same in Australia. It's all these broadsheets, you know, the, the more serious newspapers, they have a daily cartoon which reflects on the news of the day. My idea was, well, if these companies are moving online they'll need a digital version of that daily cartoon. So that is what I went in and proposed to news organizations. And we ended up having, well, not so much a bidding war, but, well, I suppose it was a kind of bidding war because they both wanted to do it, and we decided to go with the Huffington Post. And we provide X amount of videos and X amount of uh, still images for them a month, which are humorous reflections on the news, and they now have renewed us nine times from an initial three-month uh, trial. Um, we've had nine consecutive renewals, so that's been very successful for them. We had a small good example of good success was a comedy uh, character over here in the, the UK who was doing uh, comedy stuff about football. Uh, he had a certain type of uh, persona that he created about football. It was coming up to the World Cup in 2014, he hired us, very low budget, to come up with some ideas, come up with uh, what could he, could he make a video because he was actually releasing a song in, in association with the World Cup uh, in 2014. We basically harnessed the fact that he had a decent amount of Twitter and Facebook followers, harnessed them to send in some no-budget, low-budget, user-generated uh, videos that they'd made Right. Put them all together into a compilation video, which is actually quite funny. And um, that video ended up having more views than the official England World Cup video for the wow. year. So, um, wow. and that was a pretty simple but fun thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, it can really go from big to small. My new thing is really thinking about because there has been so much content shock and there is so much product out there, but it has also become so accessible for smaller businesses to get involved. I am really thinking now about how we will start packaging really affordable packages to small businesses to get them video, to get them targeted Facebook marketing. Because what you can do with the targeting on on Facebook as we move into the era of paid traffic is extraordinary. Um, and, and, and for a low amount, you can get your, your video in front of the right people. Because that's really what it's about from a consumer point of view it doesn't really matter if it's a hundred thousand people watching or ten thousand because if ten thousand are watching and they're real fans like you said at the very top the quality of leads or the quality of potential customers is what what people want paul really appreciate you taking the time to share these insights with us and they're really valuable video marketing is just massive and so important in business in in overall business strategy so again really really appreciate your insights is there any final thoughts you wanted to share with our listeners i hope people have enjoyed it if they, we, we've been doing stuff 
internationally now. Um, and funnily enough, this is a fortuitous time because we made a documentary. And here's a good example of, of something very quick that we did um, very differently. Last year, there was a, uh, a health conference which was going on in Edinburgh in Scotland. And they asked us to film it. And I said, well, we can film it, but it'll just be the standard kind of conference speeches. It'll be pretty dull. Why don't we make a documentary? I persuaded them to make a documentary about the week. Um, mm -hmm. They made a documentary about the week. It's the kind of niche health area. The documentary got submitted to a film festival in the United States. And last week, uh, out of 1,500 films that were submitted, it was one of the five nominated for best documentary. Wow. So, we're really wow. pleased about that. So it's about thinking. If people want to think about video, is to make sure that they get a specialist involved. It doesn't have to be us. But now you can also get people from all over the world. We've worked with companies in Canada. We've worked with companies in uh, the United States. Love to work with companies in Australia. It's easy now. Just like we're having this conversation, sharing information and sharing screenings uh, online is all very easy. But I would say really to people, make sure they get a specialist. If they are a medium or big company, then just pass it off to whatever agency they're dealing with. And really think about how the video can fit into your strategy. And one of the things I noticed, I was, I was looking on your website, and I will mention the URL in a moment too for, for, uh, for everyone's benefit. On your website, you shared some examples of the videos you've done, and one of them was for a, I can't remember the charity organization, I think it had something to do with health or well-being and through the video that was created for them they were able to over maybe or it might have been a six-year period or i'm not sure how long it was but they generated like five million dollars in charity donations because yeah. of, uh, with the help of that video five million pounds yeah that was uh, really impressive very very impressive yeah, because they were able to commit to knowing that it was a, a going to be a longer term Affair. We created a number of products for them, and yes, beginning, middle, and end to the whole campaign. Yeah, rather than just doing one at the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So Paul's website. If you want to learn more about what Paul does or work with Paul, get in contact with him, you can head on over to handface.co.uk. Again, Paul, we really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us. I've I've gotten a lot out of it. I'm sure our listeners have so thank you so very much thank you i really enjoyed it john really enjoyed it and thank you everyone for listening thank you so much for listening to the podcast i hope you got a lot out of it as a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener i've got a very special gift for you an exclusive report where i reveal all the tools and services i use every day in my online businesses including the sites i use to get targeted traffic at literally pennies per click it's ready for you to download right now. To get free immediate access to my online business resource report, head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Lagadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.